stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Big news out of the United Nations General Assembly this morning. Not surprising news, unfortunately, but still substantial. As the General Assembly passes by 128 to 9, a motion condemning Donald Trump's decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. More interesting than the nine no votes, which included the U.S., a number of South Pacific small nations as well, was the number of abstentions. About 30, as a matter of fact, including Canada, 35 actually, but that's including people who didn't vote at all, which are a minority compared to the abstainers who voted to abstain. That was a category in which Canada found itself saying that it was a one-sided motion committing to peace, restating Canada's position, but not taking a side, which has earned it some condemnation from both sides of the issue here. I wanted to welcome into the program Steve McDonald, Deputy Director for Communications and Public Affairs for the Centre for Israel and Jewish Affairs. Steve joins us on the line now. Steve, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks again for coming on, and also a belated happy Hanukkah to you. Andrew, it's always a pleasure to join you on air, and a very Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks very much. We're already bridging divides here. It's wonderful. (laughs) Why is this motion so significant? The U.S. does not need the U.N.'s authorization to move forward with it. It's an American decision here. Why does the U.N. vote matter, and why does it even happen, first off? Honestly, I think this matters first and foremost because it undermines the U.N.'s own credibility as a force for peace, as a force for the values that we we care about, certainly in the West, uh, and the sort of future that we would hope the U.N. would would try to advance in the Middle East, not just for Israelis and Palestinians, but ultimately for the benefit of the region as a whole. Uh, you're right. It, it doesn't really matter what the United Nations General Assembly says. This is a non-binding vote. The Americans have already said that they now recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And the fact is a lot of people, I think, are, are um, hung up or confused about this being a Donald Trump policy, when in fact it's really a policy rooted in widespread bipartisan consensus in the United States. For decades, Republicans and Democrats alike have agreed that since Israel has already established Jerusalem as its capital since the early days of the state, it doesn't make sense for the United States or anyone else to object to recognizing this reality. Um, So really, the, the Trump decision was a largely symbolic gesture, and today we see another largely symbolic gesture by the UN General Assembly to to uh, to condemn this. I think it's just silly, and it does nothing to advance peace. When you say that the motion is silly, does that mean that the best move would have been for people to vote against it or to abstain and, and just say that you know what we just don't think this motion comes anywhere close to where we need the discussion to be? Therefore, we're not taking a role. Look, obviously, I I would have preferred if uh, if all countries of goodwill, and including Canada and other democracies, voted against this resolution. It did pass by a margin of 128 to 9 with 30, 35 abstentions, one of which was Canada's vote, and 21 absentees. Uh, this is not the margin, I think, uh, the, certainly the, the Yemenite and Turkish sponsors of the resolution hoped for. They, they looked for a larger victory. Um, and a lot of those abstentions were, frankly, people who are countries and representatives who had a lot of objections with the resolution itself. Canada's uh, representatives came out and said, look, this is a a one-sided resolution. It doesn't advance peace. They're disappointed with it. They also uh, believe that the status of Jerusalem is an issue to be resolved 
um, through direct negotiations between Israelis and Palestinians, and it's something that um, Canada isn't really going to going to have a, a position on until it is resolved by the parties. So I, I think we should be we have to recognize the shades of gray here. I would have preferred a no vote, but the reality is an abstention from Canada is still a positive move, and it's it's certainly also uh, I would say a slap in the face to those behind this resolution who, again, are attempting to use the U.N., which we all pay for and which is supposed to be a force for peace. They're attempting to use the U.N. again to single out and isolate the only liberal democracy in the Middle East, Israel. When we look at where countries voted, there were some kind of interesting ones. Australia abstained alongside Canada. The U.K. actually voted no on it, which I found I, I just found it unique anyway, because they, there wasn't like a clear delineating factor in who decided to abstain. Yeah, it, it's a funny mix. Look, at the U.N., you instantly have a block of about 50 to 57 uh, states that consider themselves Islamic. Some are Arab, but others are non-Arabic Islamic states. So you instantly have a very large block that tends to be hostile toward Israel. Um, and frankly, many of those countries have horrible human rights records. Uh, Yemen, for example, which is a co-sponsor of this resolution, uh, Yemen is suffering a civil war in, in which over the last two years, 10,000 people have died, half of whom have been civilians. The International Red Cross today just came out and said that in Yemen, it's now believed that one million people have cholera and thousands have died from it. And yet Yemen's representative to the UN is pushing a symbolic resolution to attack the United States and to isolate Israel. It's shameful, but it's something that I think a lot of observers of the UN are used to seeing. And so you do have this kind of block of, of hardcore um, anti-Israel countries. And then you have a lot of uh, countries that you know, have mixed voting records depending on what the resolution is. On many of the core issues, countries like uh, Canada, the United States, the UK, and Australia tend to be much more sympathetic and favorable to Israel. And so you do see, uh, you know, just last month, Canada, for example, voted against a resolution which uh, singled out Israel and, and attacked Israeli policies in Jerusalem. Um, and so Canada opposed that, didn't just abstain. But a lot of these countries that abstain, whether they're Western European or places like Australia, have excellent bilateral relations with Israel. They see Israel as, uh, as a, a valued friend and ally in the region. And so that's why they are skeptical and critical of some of these obvious anti-Israel resolutions. I know that Israel has always been very critical of U.N. policy when it comes to Israel because it is very one-sided. And I know that uh, for, for the U.N.'s part, they've always been, I, I would say, from my perspective anyway, very hostile in, in recent years anyway to Israel. But for Israel, even though it knows it is really isolated in the world in, in many cases, do you think that this gives them any cause to question their own place in the world even further moving forward when you've got perhaps not as resounding a victory for the motion as the sponsors would have liked but 128 countries that are effectively voting against israel in some way with this yeah i have to say i think it's something that israelis and and members of the jewish community are are largely used to and you know i go back to my original point you're talking to someone who cares deeply about peace uh, I really do hope that the day comes that I can bring my children to Israel and they can experience a country that that enjoys peace and security and is welcomed by its neighbors. That's not the case today because you have a tiny country, smaller than Vancouver Island, surrounded by an entire region that, for the most part, rejects its very right to exist. And so when the UN uh, indulges 
these types of resolutions from countries that, in some cases, reject Israel's right to exist. I think, you know, Israelis look at this and they say, well, this is absurd and our, we're not going anywhere. And so, you know, our neighbors uh, at some point have to reconcile with this reality. But it says more about the U.N. itself than it does about Israelis. This is a problem not for Israelis, but for the U.N. The U.N., if it wants to have credibility, as a, and, it, and it should, uh, as a force for, for liberal democratic values and for peace and democracy, it needs to get its own house in order. Because this really, I think, causes many people to, to roll their eyes at the U.N. How central is Jerusalem to the broader peace process? And the second part of that question, if, if I may here, is that a lot of other people have said that when the U.S. recognizes Jerusalem, that completely throws away any hope of peace with Palestinians. How do you respond to either of those? Sure. So let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, Jerusalem is very important, as your listeners will know, to Jews, Christians, and Muslims. It is of deep spiritual uh, significance to Christians and Muslims. It is of deep spiritual and political importance to Jews. Uh, in all of the years in which uh, you didn't have uh, Jews uh, uh, controlling Jerusalem or Jerusalem being in Israel, it was never made a political capital by its Muslim or its Christian rulers. It is only under Jews that it has been a national capital. And there's 3,000 years of archaeological evidence showing that Jews view Jerusalem as, as our capital. Now, that said, uh, the, you've had since 2003 peace offers from Israeli leaders, which would have created a Palestinian state, would have divided the territory and allowed the Palestinians to, to have a state of their own. Uh, and all three of those offers included a Palestinian capital in the eastern neighborhoods of Jerusalem. And so, uh, obviously, Israelis themselves are divided about this sort of thing, and there are a lot of strong opinions either, either way. But you have, uh, in, in, this, in this century alone, you've had three concrete offers from Israelis showing that just because Israel's capital is in West Jerusalem or is in Jerusalem, it doesn't mean that you couldn't have a, uh, a Palestinian capital in the eastern part of the city. Um, Palestinians are sadly the ones who have walked away from this formula, have three times said no, and refuse to make a counteroffer. And so I think that that fact alone exposes that just because it's important doesn't mean it's a barrier to peace. Rather, the Palestinian rejection of a Jewish state anywhere in the Middle East has consistently been the biggest barrier to peace. So I guess the question then moving forward is, what is needed? And I know this is a big question, but what is needed? And does the UN have a role in it to actually start that productive peace discussion again? So I think, the, frankly, I think the UN's credibility and role is quite limited, um, and here's why I say this. If you look back at the last few decades, the biggest breakthroughs for peace and in the peace process have taken place when there was a uh, president in the White House who Israelis really trusted. And the two big ones that come to mind are Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. Uh, this isn't a partisan issue. It's, it's both a Democrat and a Republican phenomenon, that when presidents have shown that they really understand Israel's security needs, and they support them on key issues like Jerusalem, it, it, it makes the Israelis feel less vulnerable and less isolated in the Middle East, and it makes it more possible for Israelis to take risks for peace and, and make concessions for peace. Um, and so the UN is actually the flip side of that phenomenon. Israelis largely don't trust the UN because of resolutions like this. So I think it's widely recognized that in, in any future peace agreement um, and in any future peace process, which I really do hope uh, we start to see in the coming months, um, I think the UN's role is going to be extremely limited. To the contrary, when 
the president comes out and says that he recognizes Jerusalem as Israel's capital, I think he's positioning uh, the United States to play an even bigger role in the peace process. And he's making, I think, a, an important symbolic gesture to Israelis to show that, that the United States supports Israel when it comes to these issues. I know that Israelis were very, very familiar and very supportive of Stephen Harper's approach to Israel, and I know that a lot of Canadians, certainly from the Jewish community, saw him as being a very stalwart ally of Israel. And I know it's difficult to play that Monday morning quarterback role and say, okay, if Harper had been there now, what would Canada's vote have been? I think I have my own theory, which is that we probably would have voted with the U.S. But but even then, I wonder how much of a role does Canadian policy in Israel have at all in the world? And, and I know that when I went to Israel, actually on a, a Sija delegation, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, and we were chatting with an Israeli reporter. One of the things he had said, and it, it wasn't mocking, but he said, you know, yes, Canada's support for Israel is great, but Canada has to understand it's, it's a pretty small country in the world. And I'm wondering if Canada's abstention is kind of irrelevant in the grand scheme of things to anyone outside of Canada. Uh, look, I, I think Israelis uh, are used to living in a world where they don't have uh, a whole pile of friends, certainly in the Middle East, and so they do look to Western countries uh, and the Anglosphere for support. Um, I think Canada offers two important things. One is moral support, and, and these resolutions, again, are not binding. They're not legally binding. They're purely symbolic. Um, but, but when we do uh, refuse to vote for these types of initiatives or vote against them, I think it demonstrates strong moral support for Israel's position. Uh, and Israelis do appreciate that, and I know this anecdotally. Uh, Israelis actually think quite highly of Canadians. Um, but in terms of practical stuff, the many practical ways in which Canada and, and Israel uh, benefit one another in, in, our, in our bilateral ties in, in many ways, it's the sort of stuff that doesn't make headlines, but it actually makes a crucial difference on the ground. So I'll give you one very quick example. Uh, for a number of years now, the Canadian forces have been conducting an operation known as Operation Proteus. This is a, a non-combat operation. It's purely an advisory mentor uh, operation to mentor Palestinian police uh, to, to help them set up uh, a police force in the West Bank that's capable of preventing Hamas and other terrorist groups from taking over. Because of this operation, which Canadian, Canadian troops came up with themselves and, and introduced to the region, uh, because of this operation, you've had... Uh, it, you've had a situation in which Israeli troops have been able to get out of Palestinian areas, and now you have Palestinian police patrolling these areas in the West Bank. That's a huge, potentially game-changing contribution to peace. It's a practical recognition that you have to build peace from the ground up. You're not going to impose peace from the top down between Israelis and Palestinians. You need to work with both parties in a practical, bottom-up way. And I think Canada has done that in a few different areas, but that's just one example. Steve McDonald, Communications and Public Affairs Deputy Director for the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs. Steve, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Cheers, sir. When we come back, we'll talk about this a little bit more. If you want to weigh in, my number is 403-974-8255, 403-974-8255. Andrew Lawton, in for Rob, here on Afternoons on 770 CHQR. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.